Anybody want to share best or worst meal ever? Anybody, what was your best meal? Somebody shout it out. Mom's cooking. Yes, always. For more reasons than one, probably. Yeah. Who else? What was your best meal ever? Pizza party. Pizza party. Yes. Fricanos. Candy. I don't know if that's a meal, but maybe it is for you. Calorie-wise, yes. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Brendan, and I'm one of the pastors here at Victory Point. So glad you're here. I'm glad to be here because my family is all home uh, with the flu. So <laughs> glad to be here, away from them. Um, we, had, uh, we had some friends over last night. Last night was one of those nights. Um, we had some friends over. Uh, actually, during this series, we've been encouraged to have people over for meals, and so every week, my wife and I have been trying to set aside a night and go, okay, here's our night. Now, uh, we have a kind of a mental list of, of running names. We're like, okay, we need to invite these people over for dinner. We haven't connected with them. Or there's some neighbors that we haven't really talked with for a little while. So, um, so we did have our next-door neighbors over a few weeks ago. Um, and they, uh, their, name, their last name is Baker. And she literally brought over like a whole tray of baked goods and it was, amazing. it was like a pyramid of Rice Krispie Treats. It was amazing. So that was kind of our post-meal meal. Um, and then uh, and they just stayed afterward. It was really nice. And then a couple, the next week, uh, we had a high school student over that uh, my wife mentors at the local high school. And, um, and it was her first time having dinner at someone's house besides her family's house. So I was like, wow, what a special, special night, special thing to share with her. Um, and then last night, we had some people over, too. And uh, they came over, and their, uh, their son ended up getting sick in our, in our house last night. So, so, you know, we invite people over, and we get the blessings and the curses, you know, and, and that's, that's kind of how it goes, right? You can't have one without the other. But um, I'm actually really thankful that we've uh, started making that a practice of ours. I'm hoping that during this season, not just for my family, but also for yours, that um, the practice of hospitality is becoming a habit. And uh, hospitality is a type of ministry that Jesus would recognize. He would, uh, he would recognize that as true ministry. And a lot of the stuff that we call ministry, he'd be like, what are you doing? What, why are you spending all your time doing all this stuff? Have, have meals with people. Have people over. Extend a meal. You know, extend conversation. Extend yourselves. Like, open your doors. Invite in um, the people who no one else is inviting in. And bring them into your home and share a meal with them. And in that place... God's presence is going to be realized. So that's what we're hoping to cultivate in our own family's life. I hope that's something that's being cultivated in your life. Um, because we're part of this, uh, we're going through this series called A Meal with Jesus. We're really trying to discover what does grace, community, and mission look like around the table, how Jesus did it. And uh, for the last couple of weeks, we've been going through the, the book of Luke, looking at the ways Jesus was interacting with people around meals. And what does that tell us about God's kingdom and the way God wants to come into the world? And how do we follow along in those footsteps? So today we're going to be looking at another story from Luke 9, if you have your Bible, so you can pull it out. Um, before, we, let me just give a little bit of context. Um, this is earlier on in the book of Luke, and Jesus has begun to call some disciples towards him. He's begun teaching, calling disciples, and, and the disciples are following him. Not just the 12 disciples, but a whole crowd of other people are all following him. And they're following him wherever he goes. And in this story, he goes into a remote place. Goes into a remote place. And so I want to kind of pick up with uh, Luke 9, verse 
7 through 20. And before I, um, before I read this, would you pray with me? Dear God, in, in Isaiah 55, you say that your word um, always returns, um, having done its job. That your word does not go out and return void, but it goes out and it produces fruit. And it brings life and flourishing So I have faith that now as we read your word that you're going to make it come alive for us. That these would be more than simply words that I read. That these would be uh, words of life spoken into our hearts. So I pray, God, that you would bring the dead to life now. I pray that you would bring healing, that you'd bring conviction. Ultimately, I pray that you would form the image of Christ in us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed, because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them. Hospitality. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We only have five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, He asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. So we've got the crowds. The crowds are hungry. This is what I was drawn to at first in this passage. The crowds are really hungry. There's nothing for them here. They're in a remote place. They've been following Jesus, and they get to this spot, and they're, they're following and following him, and they're, they're saying, you've led us to a desert. you led us to a place where there's nothing to eat, and we're hungry. We left everything behind to follow you. You said to leave it all behind. When Jesus said, drop your nets, when you said, you know, 
everyone needs to leave what they're doing. You know, don't even bury your father. Come and follow me. We left everything behind to follow you, and now you've led us to this. We've got nothing here. You said to deny yourself, and we did, and here we are. This is where it got us. And they're hungry. Even the disciples notice it. They say the crowds are hungry. I imagine the disciples are hungry too. They're probably kind of getting some hangry. You know, that combination between hungry and angry, and they're saying, everyone, the crowd is getting restless and they're hungry. Can we send them away? Send them away to get something to eat. And at first, this seems like a really compassionate thing to do. Let's take care of their needs. But at the same time, I wonder if it kind of, kind of fits in line with some of the ways that the disciples act in other situations, like when they tell the Canaanite woman, send her away. She keeps crying after us. Get her out of here. Or when James and John see people, other people around, and they say, can we call fire down from heaven, destroy them? If we could just get these people out of our lives, out of our way, these people that bother us, if we could just get them out of the way, then we could do what you're calling us to, Jesus. Isn't that kind of what we do, by the way? <laughs> just as a little tangent, isn't that what we do when there's uh, people we're working with we wish weren't on our team, or people we're married to we wish, wish I'd married somebody else? Or our teachers, which I wish I got someone else's teacher. My teacher gives us too much homework. And we wish we could just write these people off or get them out of our lives. And if only we could get the difficult people out of our lives, things would be a lot easier. <laughs> but what I see in this passage is that Jesus doesn't send the hungry people away. He keeps them close by. He doesn't write off the difficult people. He heals them. And Jesus doesn't let the disciples get rid of the people that are bothering them. He says... We're going to keep them close because they're actually a gift to you. It's through these people that I'm going to teach you how to love. It's through these people I'm going to teach you how to lead. The image of Christ is formed in you only through these kinds of people, the kind of people who bother you to no end. They're the kind of people who bring out the worst in us. And it needs to be brought out so Christ can heal it. And so when we have those coworkers or those spouses or those kids or those teachers, or those whoever, those neighbors... We, uh, we embrace them as God's gift to us, as hard as it is. We say, okay, I'd like to send these people away, get their needs met somewhere else besides me, but I realize that if I do that, I actually write myself out of the story God wants to tell of transformation. So Jesus says, I want hungry people. I want hungry people to follow me. Jesus doesn't send people away. He welcomes them. He wants hungry people, people who are hungering and thirsting. You see, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Those are the kind of people Jesus wants. He tells stories of shepherds going out to find sheep. He tells stories of women looking for that, those lost coins, people who are hungering and thirsting for something, people who are desperate. Those are the people Jesus wants following him. He doesn't want a whole bunch of satisfied people who are just waiting for him to pull out the next trick out of the bag. Jesus wants hungry people following him. Augustine says this, Our life is a gymnasium of desire. I really like that phrase. Our life is a gymnasium of desire, as in we are all hungry for something. In junior high... Just for, who's in junior high? 
Anybody in junior hires in here? Yes, Christopher. Anybody else representing? Yes. Yes, okay, cool. This is a picture of me in junior high. Um, can you guys tell which one I am? I have an identical twin brother, so the two people in the middle, one of them could be me. Any guesses? All right, who thinks I'm on the right on this side? Okay, who thinks I'm on this side? All right, I am on the right. Oh, I'm the one with the watch. In and out Burger shirt. Okay, we are at In and Out Burger for my 14th birthday. Um, in and out anybody been to In and Out Burger in California? They're in Nevada too, Arizona. Bob, you know what I'm talking about. I think we had like five by five animal style in this picture. Just super. Yeah, I was always hungry in junior high. That's the point of this picture. I was always hungry. And look at me. I'm tiny. <laughs> and I could eat more than anybody I knew. And we were always eating. I remember getting so hungry sometimes that I would feel sick. You know, like my blood sugar was low, and I just felt sick to my stomach. I'm like, what's wrong with me? I'm supposed to be sick. And my mom's like, I think you're just hungry. Eat something. feel better. I, was eat, I would eat a lot. And uh, we'd go out to restaurants, and I remember being really excited when we have, uh, like, bread that was brought out before. You know how that goes? Like, the restaurants that bring bread, and they just keep bringing it. And you just keep eating it. And when I was in junior high, I could just eat that and then eat a whole meal and then have dessert and then have another meal. Um, but now I go to restaurants like that and I have to watch it because if I'm not careful, especially chips and salsa. You guys, Havana Grill over here, best chips and salsa, and they just keep bringing it out to you. It's awesome. But they bring you food. They bring you chips and salsa or bread and butter, and you start eating it. And then you order your meal, and you're like, I don't want to eat this anymore. I'm totally full. We call those empty calories, right? Empty calories. Calories, food that you eat. It's not really what your body is hungry for, but you eat it and you fill yourself and all of a sudden you realize I'm full and I'm no longer wanting the good things that my body needs. I'm kind of in a, it's stuck. And, and I, so we eat things even when we're not hungry. I, I also think we eat things that we're not hungry for, right? Like we eat bread. We eat things when we're not hungry at all, Right? Um, sometimes, anybody find yourself eating something like pretzels or chips, and you realize, I'm not hungry right now. You go, why am I? I'm, I'm eating because I'm tired. Sometimes I eat just because I'm tired. I think I'm hungry, but really I'm just tired. I need to go to sleep. And the worst thing in the world is for me to eat a big bowl of something and then go right to sleep. That's like the worst. Or I'm eating, and I realize I'm just stressed. I'm, I'm eating because I'm stressed. I'm not even, I'm not hungry for food. I need some relief. I need some rest. Or sometimes I eat when I'm thirsty. I really just need a glass of water and I eat something. Anybody else really, is this just me? Okay, yes, you guys know what I'm talking about. We eat when we're not hungry for food. Um, C.S. Lewis says this. Well, I'll just skip ahead here. Um, Okay, I'll go to Isaiah 55. This is what Isaiah 55 says. Why spend money on what is not bread? and your labor on what does not satisfy. We are so prone to fill ourselves with things that do not satisfy us, right? We hunger for spiritual growth, but we end up with self-help books. (laughs) We hunger for connection, and we end up scrolling through social media, trying to fill that void, trying to fill that hunger. We hunger for relief, and we end up harming ourselves or numbing ourselves with something. We hunger for acceptance, and we end up settling for tolerance or even going for people-pleasing, trying to please other people. We hunger for justice, 
and we end up making enemies out of people. We hunger for rest, and we end up binging on Netflix or food or drink. We hunger for love, and we settle for infatuation. C.S. Lewis says this, The books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in them, but it only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not yet found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have not visited. We are people who are hungry, and our hunger is so often misplaced. We're people of desire, and our desire is often directed towards things that don't truly fill us. And beneath each of us is a longing, a need for belonging, for acceptance, for safety, for purpose, for meaning. I was talking with someone this week who was... uh, was not feeling themselves, <laughs> who uh, had uh, who retired and uh, was looking for what do I what, what's my new calling? What do you think this person is hungering for? What's really going on? I was talking with someone recently who has questions that that their theological views might might exclude them for the community they, they love so much. What do you think this person is truly truly longing for? I was talking with someone recently who's been struggling with health issues who's saying, nothing is working out for me right now. What do you think this person is truly, deeply longing for? If our life is a gymnasium and a desire, what is it that each of us this morning are truly, deeply longing for in all the things that we're doing, in all the things that we do during the week, all the ways that we try to meet our needs, whether we're actually you know, grabbing onto something that fulfills our desires or whether we're grabbing onto just empty calories, what is it that we truly, deeply desire? In the John's version of this story of the feeding of the 5,000, he tells a story of when the, after the feeding of the 5,000, when the crowds catch up to Jesus. And they find him. And it says this, When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You just ate bread. Are you just coming for more bread? Just coming back for more bread? Things that won't truly satisfy you? So almost as if Luke is anticipating that our human desires are going to focus on the bread in the feeding of 5,000, that we're going to make this story all about Jesus providing lots and lots of bread. He bookends it with these two verses. At the beginning, he talks about how Herod was asking a question. He said, now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, Others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John, 
Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. And then he had the feeding of the 5,000. And then after that story, we have these verses. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? Echoing Arid's question. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. What's going on here? Luke is pointing us, pointing our desire towards something new, something different. He's cueing us into some of the context that Jesus is working in. John the Baptist is one of the first suggestions. John the Baptist is a prophet who was wandering in the desert preaching for baptism and repentance. And people would come out to him and be baptized. That's why they call him John the Baptist. And so some wondered, is this John the Baptist's spirit, his ministry, returning in Christ? And the answer is no. But they're close. Jesus is a prophet. And here you see him in the desert. So it's reasonable to think that that may be a good guess. So in some ways, yes, he is a prophet in the desert that's preaching repentance. But it's more than that. You see them talking about the new Elijah. Is this Elijah returned? Well, this is a reference to 2 Kings 4. You can read the story. It's a very short story. Verses 42 through 44, where you see Elisha, who is the inheritor of the heir of Elijah's ministry, who is now taking on the mantle of Elijah and, and serving food to men in the desert. There's 100 people, and they only have 20 loaves. And Elisha serves 20 loaves to 100 people, and there's leftovers. So it would be reasonable to think, well, Jesus is doing very similar things. Here Jesus is in the middle of the desert, and he's serving food to a whole bunch of people, and there's leftovers. So is Jesus the new Elijah? Well, in some ways, yes. He's fulfilling that, that promise that he's re- Elijah returned, but he's not just the new Elijah. He's more than that. He's not just someone who, who provides leftovers, who shows God's abundance in the midst of a desert. He's more than that. The next suggestion is a prophet from long ago. The reference here is to Moses, who by God's grace served food, gave bread in the desert to the people who were wandering through the desert for 40 years. He gave provision in the desert and leftovers again. And this time, the leftovers are collected in advance of Sabbath. They would collect for six days out of the week, and on the sixth day, they would collect enough so that they didn't have to collect at all on the seventh day. And this is pointing to the Sabbath. And so is Jesus in this in this meal, the feeding of the 5,000, indicating that, yes, I'm the new Moses. I'm, I'm providing not only leftovers, abundance in the desert, but I'm providing so much that I'm, I'm pointing towards the Sabbath that is to come, the new creation that is to come, God's rest for God's people that I'm going to provide. Is that what Jesus is coming to do? Yes, it is what Jesus is coming to do. That is what he's saying. But he's more than that. So Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Who do you say? We're not quite there yet. We haven't got to the right answer. And Peter says, you're God's Messiah. It's like something triggered in his back, back of his mind. He thought, okay, this is reminding me of one more story that I remember from the Old Testament. It's not a story that happened in the past. It's a story of a prophecy 
that's going to happen in the future. And Peter remembers this story, I think, in this moment where he realizes, wait, there's one more piece of the puzzle here. In Isaiah 55, by the way, the disciples may have been fishermen, but they knew their scriptures. Isaiah 55 says this, Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. This is a feast, a feast, a messianic feast that God is pointing to. He's saying, one day, we're going to have a feast, and the Messiah is going to be the host. There's going to be so much, you're not even going to have to bring money. You can eat for free. Come and feast on, on what is good, and you will delight in it. It's an eternal banquet. And later in that same chapter, that's where it says uh, God's word goes out and it does not return void. He's saying, I want you to be people who soak in the word of God. I want you to be people who take it in. That's the real feast that I want you to have is people who receive my word and who who give life, who, who flourish, who respond. Isaiah 55 is saying, Don't just eat bread. Be people who hunger for God. That's what he's saying. I think he's also might be thinking about another verse in Isaiah. Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9, says this. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. God is pointing us towards an eternal feast where the Messiah is going to come and serve. He's going to say, welcome, come and have all your desires fully met. None of this junk food, none of these empty calories, none of these just piecemeal offerings that slightly, you know, grab our hunger for just a minute and then they disappear. God is saying, come and get all of your desires met, not just for food. Yes, for food, but come get all your desires met. He's going to wipe disgrace from the face of the earth. I love that phrase. He will remove his people's disgrace. That's what we long for. We long to be restored as whole people in the presence of Christ, the one we love, the one who loves us, the one who bought us with a price and has welcomed us into the eternal banquet. Jesus doesn't just give us a meal. He gives us hope. He's pointing towards that final meal, and he says, one day all things will be made right. One day I'm going to restore all things. And you can look forward to that. And in the meantime, he's giving the people hope. That's what they're really feasting on in the desert, the feeding of 5,000. And they realize, oh, this is 
like Elijah. This is like Moses. This is like the promised Messiah who promises to make everything new. That's what we're really feasting on here. Yes, we're enjoying a meal. Yes, this is good teaching and healing, but what Christ is really pointing towards is the fact that one day he's going to make all things well. And that gives people hope. That truly satisfies them. When I was, um, when was this? 2005. So I must have been 18. I have another picture of me from younger years. Um, This is me in Ethiopia. I went with a team from my church. We had been uh, working with World Vision to help build a new school in the middle of the Afar region of Ethiopia, which is in the middle of the desert. It took us a long, long time, lots of time in a truck, driving out in the middle of the desert. We were so far in the desert, I saw camels, like dead camels on the side of the road. I thought, okay, if camels are dying out here, <laughs> you know. But um, we, so we were going out there to, to witness the opening of the school that we had helped to um, fund. And these people were really excited to see us, and they didn't just uh, cut a ribbon. They, uh, they had a whole ceremony to open the school. Hundreds of people out there. This is a picture from it. They did a whole martial arts routine. These, um, the girls got out with these beautiful gowns on, and they, they, they danced, and they served a meal. We ate camel. So they did a camel barbecue. It was amazing. And uh, so we got, to, we got to experience this banquet in the middle of the desert. Um, and then... They, they had these warriors come out. They had these Ethiopian warriors come out from the far region, and they, they had this traditional uh, warrior dress on where um, they wore like this uh, cloth around their waist, like a skirt, and then they had a, uh, like one around their chest, kind of wrapped around that way, and then they each had a sword in a sheath. And uh, the sheath, sheath was made out of like goat skin, and they pull out the sword, and it's like this angled, super sharp sword. But they, they did this routine as, as warriors. They did a warrior routine. And then they had a gift for each of, uh, each of us who had come to visit. And uh, they gave each of us the warrior outfit. So this is me being kind of like uh, given this warrior outfit. And uh, so this like topped the meal off. I show this picture to say, uh, at the feast... At the feast, especially at the Feast of the 5,000, Jesus gives a meal in the middle of the desert, an abundant meal. But something else is going on too here that I think is worth noting. Um, Jesus transforms the disciples from hungry people who are looking for the next meal to people who are serving alongside him. He transforms them. He um, He doesn't just give them something to eat. He gives them the job to do. He feels that, that part of our purpose too. The disciples are empty. They're hungry too. And Jesus uses them. He uses their hunger to serve others. He says, um, you know, even though you don't, might not have everything lined up all the time, the disciples haven't yet figured out that Jesus is the Messiah. At least they haven't confessed it yet. That comes later. But Jesus uses their desire almost as if to say, I'd, I'd rather have your desire in the right place, then have all your beliefs in a row, then have all, everything checked off in the list. I'd rather have people who are hungering and thirsting after me. I can use those people, and I can not just fill all their desires. I can actually turn them into servants, people who can host with me, who have a job to do. 
So Jesus says, you give them something to eat. He involves them, and he gives them a new identity. They're no longer just hungry people looking for the next meal. They're now servants. And Christ has given them his ministry. He gives it to them to distribute. He doesn't just do it himself. He gives them a new identity. That's what happens at the eternal feast. Christ gives us a new identity. It's people who can serve with him so that one day we get to serve alongside Jesus at the eternal banquet. Isn't that a great privilege? And then for us, every meal, wouldn't it be cool if you saw yourself whenever you had people over or even with your own family, you saw yourself not just as a host in my own house, but I'm a host in God's house. This is God's meal and I'm, I've been given a new identity that I can serve not just a regular meal, but I can serve an eternal banquet. I can give people hope. It's a new identity that God gives us. Another thing that happens at the meal is that Jesus multiplies what they do have. They don't have much. They're empty. But what they do have, Jesus multiplies. Cyril of Alexandria lived in around 400 AD. He's one of the early church fathers. And he said this about feeding the 5,000 and what we can learn from it. He says, Let nothing, therefore, prevent willing people from receiving strangers. Let no one say, I do not possess suitable means. What I can do is altogether trifling and insufficient for many. Receive strangers, my beloved. Overcome that reluctance that wins no reward. The Savior will multiply what little you have many times beyond expectation. This is the hope that we're given. That even if we take what little we have, there will always be leftovers. There will always be enough in God's kingdom. We don't have to fear. God says, it's enough. And I'll multiply it. And I'll continue multiplying it on to eternity. That's what I do. Jesus gives hope. That's really the meal that we're feasting on, is hope. I mentioned earlier, we had some of our neighbors uh, come over for dinner a few weeks ago. And uh, the next day after we had them over, uh, she learned that her son had passed away. And over the following week or so, we began talking with her about, about her loss. She's starting to plan her son's funeral. She's trying to get every, all the ducks in a row. And in the midst of all the planning and the logistics, um, what is she really longing for? What is she really hoping for beyond just having a nice funeral for her son? She wants it to be a celebration of life. She wants to be positive. She wants to remember her son in the best way. What is she really, truly hoping for? This week, some friends of ours, uh, their, uh, their sibling got in a car accident and they lost their uh, child. So they lost their nephew, uh, 20 months old. And they were all together in the hospital, the whole family. Um, and we went over to bring a meal to, to the wife who was not able to, to fly out there. We brought a meal over, and I thought I was just going over there by myself. I thought I was just going to go drop off the meal, give her a hug, and then go. But um, there are actually already two other women from our community who are, who are there just sitting with her silently. And I sense that God's presence was there. What are they truly hoping for? 
What are they really hungering for? What are we all really hungering for in the midst of those kinds of situations? What do we long for? Jesus was facing his own death. Jesus knew he was going to be crucified. And the night before he was betrayed, he had one last meal with his disciples. And he used interesting words when he was serving the meal. He took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body. Let's let's actually read it. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God, till that eternal feast. Jesus is looking forward to it. Jesus had hope. That's what drew him through crucifixion to resurrection. Jesus' hope for the eternal feast that he's about to share. So after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took bread gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. These are the same words that Jesus uses at the Feast of the 5,000. He says, he takes it, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it. Then here, right before his crucifixion, he takes the bread and he says, this is my body. I'm going to take it. And it's blessed and it's broken. It's going to be given to you. And this cup is my blood poured out for you. Jesus is saying, the meal that I have to serve is not just a meal that I serve. It's me. I am the meal that I serve. I want you not just to thirst and hunger after an eternal feast. I want you to hunger and thirst for me. For me. The feast that Jesus serves is himself. And he gives his body as the bread of life multiplied for the whole world to eat. That's what he does. That's what he does on the cross. So you might be hungry this morning. Maybe you're literally hungry. Maybe you're like, it's about time for lunch. Maybe you're hungry for something else. I would hate to pass another moment not really identifying what those true hungers are about, what we're really trying to fill in our lives. Jesus wants to fill you. He wants to satisfy every single longing that you have. And it's found here at the table. Jesus says, come and eat and drink and find hope that I'm restoring all things. So I encourage you, if you're hungry this morning, receive Jesus. Receive him. If it's your first time, if you've never received Jesus, receive Jesus. He can fill you. If it's the millionth time, receive Jesus. Receive Jesus every day. That song that says, I need you every hour. Every hour I need you. Jesus, like the the Christmas song says, is Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the world you are dear desire of every nation and joy of every longing heart. 
That's what he is for us. So I want to invite you to this meal. This is four loaves. <laughs> we don't even have five. This is four loaves. Um, but let this meal not be simply bread and juice. Let this meal be the very presence of Jesus that we receive and say, yes, I want more of Jesus. Jesus is what I'm truly hungry for. Jesus is who I'm truly longing for. And I have hope that one day I'm going to be able to sit with Jesus at the eternal feast and have all my needs, all my desires fully satisfied in him. So I'm going to invite the band forward and we're going to pray. God of heaven and earth, you created the world and all that is in it. You made the grain and you made the grapes. You made the sea and you made the mountains. You made elephants and giraffes and you made humans. You created us in your image. You created us to long for you. You created us to hunger and thirst for you. And our desires were misplaced. We turned away from the one who promised us everything in order to meet our desires elsewhere. And here we are, having turned to other things, having seen how empty those things are, having realized our own shortcomings, having acknowledged the ways we've hurt others, the ways we've been hurt by others, we live in a broken world. And so we thank you, God, that you sent Jesus to atone, (laughs) to atone for us, to make us one with you. The night he was betrayed, while he was looking forward to his death and to his resurrection with hope of the eternal banquet, he said, this is my body given for the whole world. And this is my blood shed for the whole world that we would be welcomed into your presence, God. And so, God, we ask that you'd send your Holy Spirit now. Awaken our desire for you. May this bread and this cup be for us the very presence of Christ, whom we feast on, whom we long for. May we be people whose desires are not fully met We're not fully satisfied until that day that we can eat and drink with you in your presence, fully healed and fully restored, a family of God in the presence of God, being satisfied by you. Amen. We're going to receive communion. So the way we do that here is... You can move out towards the left. You leave to the left. Come forward, receive the bread, receive the cup. 
You can dip it in the cup and return to the right. This meal is for anyone who wants more of Jesus, wants to receive Jesus. So I welcome you. You're welcome here at this table. The service could come forward first, please, and then let's all stand and worship. Thank you.